Hello, Stephen. Hello, Erica. I'm heartbroken. This is so sad. I I didn't realize how emotional I was going to get at the end here. The last words of the doctor are him screaming no over and over again. And I forgot that that was how it ended. Like for a split second when he was making all those ridiculous gurning faces, I was like, well, you know, at least they're making it so you can't, you know, cry at the end. But right. I... But then they have him spinning in his face and screaming no over and over again. My God. I know. What a downer. <laughs> what a downer end of the night. This is honest. You know, people say that, the you know, when the Beatles broke up, it was basically that that was the official end of the 1960s. No. It was Patrick Troughton being spun around and sent back to Earth screaming no, no, no. It's the official end of the 60s. Yep. And also, though. <coughs> yeah, sorry. That's right. Zoe and Jamie uh-huh. just I mean I smiled wistfully and sadly at at, at Jamie um because that was just, you kind of have to giggle a little bit right. but but I was I was also getting choked up at Zoe just being like I thought I forgot something important but it was <laughs> nothing. nothing oh yeah and it's it's so underplayed mm-hmm. like you know I think we attach uh a lot of you know, important, you know, you can compare it to Donna's exit mm-hmm. in the new series is kind of, and they made such a huge thing out of it. And really this is perhaps even more tragic, not because perhaps just in the, in the result necessarily, not necessarily the way it happened, I guess. But. Yeah. Because, you know, everybody goes on about, you know, Donna not giving consent. Well, neither did Jamie and Zoe. Well. They, they weren't even asked. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just, it's heartbreaking. I like, this is the episode that I've seen um, the most times because I, I did a commentary. Um, a, God, a couple of years ago now. Who against, no, who against guns? Yeah, that was the one year ago actually. Was it just one year ago? Okay, yeah, I guess it was. Um, yeah, so we did a, a a charity thing for Who Against Guns, and so I watched it in preparation for that, and then I watched it for that, mm-hmm. and like watching it then was and the first time that I saw it um, for Verity was very different because I was watching the story in a vacuum, like just all by itself. Mm-hmm. And then when I was watching this episode, like I had, I only had time to watch like the first five episodes and then I skipped to, to episode 10. So I was watching like that episode right. in a vacuum, watching it as a part of the show mm-hmm. from the beginning to this point it hits hits me so much like and I felt like it hit me hard before but it it has hit me exponentially harder this time like because I feel like I've lived through all of that with Mm -hmm. the doctor and and Jamie and Zoe and you know his companions before that and it just (laughs) it's uh, it was you know I had never really thought about this before but like the first scene in the TARDIS where the doctor's sort of saying, you know, the Time Lords are my own people. Well, I, I left because I was bored. I wanted to see what this... And, you know, he's basically... Yes, he's explaining um, what has been a mystery for the past six years. But it also almost feels like you, this could be episode one of a new series. And he's explaining everything about himself to his new companions. It's like it's almost like pilot episode dialogue <laughs> in the first episode of the last mm-hmm. episode of the 1960s it's very strange that also made me think about how far the doctor has come like since he had left mm-hmm. you know because so okay he left the time lords because he was bored and all you know he wanted to explore a million planets like all of that and that that's 
what the doctor started out doing at the very beginning of the series. You know, the William Hartnell doctor was was exploring. He and Susan were were taking in bits of history on different planets and just learning and, and absorbing. And it took Ian and Barbara to sort of, you know, teach the doctor how to to have empathy and to have empathy for other people enough that he started interfering Mm -hmm. and actually getting involved that wasn't a thing that happened at the beginning at first it was just he just wanted to you know explore and see what was out there so it's also possible we talked in the last episode of the podcast about how at first you were saying that he lied to Susan about saying we'd get back home maybe maybe not maybe at that time all he had done was stolen a TARDIS and and ran away Mm -hmm. so his thought at the time was sure we could go back eventually like I'll probably get slapped on the wrist because I stole a TARDIS but whatever we'll go home and it wasn't until way after that that he actually started interfering Mm -hmm. and helping people and becoming the person that we know him to be now the you know and the the Patrick Troughton doctor so at this point yeah he knew he couldn't go home I I suspect that that here at the end of the war games he was so scared to go back to the Time Lords because he knew he had really um, broken their laws enough times that they were going to do more than slap him on the wrist. Whereas if, you know, early in the run of of the first season of Doctor Who, mm-hmm. if he had been called back or accidentally ended up on, on his home planet, he he wouldn't have been that scared about it because it wasn't such a big deal yet. No, but he would have probably still been, you know... Oh, I'm sure he, you're, he wouldn't want to go, but... No, and he probably would have been kept there, too. Like, you're staying here from now on, Doc. Yeah. You know, yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, I, but he might have thought that they would have given him enough free reign that he would eventually be able to steal another TARDIS and get away again. Right, that's quite possibly it. I think it's the Daleks that change him in the Dalek invasion of Earth, mm-hmm. when he sort of says, "You know, we, we have to stop this." Like that's sort of the yeah. first time where he sort of becomes active in in fighting evil. Up to then, as you say, he's just a spectator, mm-hmm. um, and you know, so he he ends his defense with the Daleks. I suppose he sort of builds up mm-hmm. from the quarks <laughs> upwards <laughs> towards the Daleks, you know, and, and where he's like defending his actions. Not only do I admit my actions, I am proud of them, you know, how much he's grown over those six years to, in our, in the show's history, and more years than that in his actual personal chronology, um, that he, yeah, he's become this, this anarchic, um, crusader in a way, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that that's where the show has come to, which I think is quite quite ingenious. Yeah, he he started as uh, an explorer and he became a social justice warrior. <laughs> yep, mm-hmm. the original, you might say. <laughs> I might. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, boy, what could you say about this episode? Because it's it's the one episode where um, people who listen to received fan wisdom sort of assumed that the first nine episodes were nonsense and then it got to episode 10 it was this legendary trial and stuff but uh it, it, in a way it does it's 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 such a sharp turn away from the story that we saw that it doesn't really match up at all no it isn't really supposed to yeah i mean it feels like it's it's, it's own mini story in just mm-hmm. one episode um because yeah, it's 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 more an epilogue, I think, than it is yeah. um, anything else. Because you know, it it is a- attached to it because you still have the the warlord because it's his trial mm-hmm. as well. Um, which is you know, it's interesting because usually in Doctor Who you don't see the fallout of anything, and that's 
all this episode is. It's a hundred percent fallout from the stuff that we have seen in the previous nine episodes. So you have the the warlord, you know, getting his his comeuppance and being erased from time and dematerialized, and uh, and then you also have the fallout for the doctor and his companions and. And you have Time Lords. Like, mm-hmm. this is the first time that we actually see Time Lords, you know, beyond, besides the renegades that we've run into a couple yeah. of times. And uh, I I just love them. <laughs> the uh, So the guy that stands on the left, the the, the nice one. The nice one who, who says you, uh, tells Jamie and Zoe you'd like to see your friend, mm-hmm. Clyde Pollitt. Thank you. I knew you would know his name. <laughs> yeah. I, I I like him very much. Like, he, he seems like the softy right. of the bunch. Because, yeah, he recognizes that Jamie and Zoe, you know, really care about the doctor and want to see him. So not only does he recognize that, mm-hmm. but he brings them mm-hmm. to visit the doctor. And purposely, I think it's very clear that he purposely mm-hmm. doesn't turn the force field back on. And even the doctor knows that. Because yeah. the doctor's like, forgotten? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think it's just they, he recognizes how much they love loved being with the doctor and and you know romping with him throughout the galaxy so he wants to give them this gift of one last little which i mean in a way it's a little bit cruel because it's like dangling hope in front of them Mm -hmm. but they had they get to gallop around one last really weird set with dry ice and more plastic hanging from the ceiling and like you said it was on screen for like 20 seconds yeah. and that's it but it was they they got to zip back and forth across it and yeah. have a little fun we'll have one last little you know um when i say run run kind of thing yeah. and then and then they get caught in the end and, and the doctor knows you know yep. this is our last little fling such as it is mm-hmm. you know the 10th doctor uh <laughs> says goodbye to all his friends throughout time and space and stuff and the doctor jamie and zoe uh, run through this weird mm-hmm. <laughs> candy cane room. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just, uh, and then they do have to say goodbye, and like mm-hmm. I just, it kills me that they don't hug. Like they never <laughs> hug goodbye. Like he gives a, a very warm handshake yeah. to Jamie, and like just sort of says goodbye to to Zoe, and sort of puts his hand on her mm-hmm. shoulder as he turns her away. Like this, these are the the, the trio that clings. Right. Like you know, when when scary stuff happens, they cling to each yeah. other physically. They were always sort of the touchiest, touchy feeliest of of all of the groups in, in the TARDIS, and it just it breaks my heart that they don't have like a proper tight, you know, hug goodbye. No, I don't think they were huggers as much. I mean, no, you're right. They, it's not like they were hugging all the time, mm-hmm. but like they were they were in each other's arms right. so much that it just I don't know. I, I I would want to hug my friends goodbye. So this is definitely me projecting yes. onto onto the doctor and his and his companions. There's a certain detachment, I think, to it all. Maybe the doctor also is kind of like not wanting to make a big thing out of it mm-hmm. either because, you know, he, he hates goodbyes. Yeah. So it's, make it quick. That'll make it even harder. Yeah, that's true. That is true. And yeah, and they just get in the one of the little TARDIS machines and mm-hmm. off they go. Yeah. Mm. Mm. It was, well, I mean, they were, Fraser Hines was there for like three years, all but Patrick Troughton's first story. Hey, Hines was going to leave earlier in the season, but um, Troughton said, well, I'm leaving at the end of the season. Why don't we, you stay to the end and we'll go together? Mm-hmm. Um, Wendy Padbury wasn't initially going to leave, but decided, oh, why not? Let's, let's also leave at the same time. So the original... Um, thought was that Wendy Padbury would be still in Doctor Who mm-hmm. in the next season, mm-hmm. and I can't 
for one second envision how they would have done that. This might have been before they they had plans for for what season seven was, but um, so that's why it it became very much an end of an era. I feel like it would have been a very different show. I don't think it would have been a question of adding Zoe in yeah. with the third Doctor as we know him now. I don't think we would have the third Doctor as we know him now if Wendy Padbury had stayed no. and we would have had Zoe. So it's 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 not like a mashup situation. It just it just would have changed the, the direction of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so much behind the scenes stuff that I, I want to get to when it comes to this, but I don't want to um, step over you talking about the actual episode. Is is uh... Oh, boy. Uh, well, Bernard Horsfall, we had him again. Yes. Um, so it, that was nice. In fact, um, all three of the Time Lords, with speaking roles, mm-hmm. go on to play, in a way... Time Lords again. <laughs> Trevor Martin plays the Doctor himself in the stage play in The Seven Keys to Doomsday in 1974. He's kind of the outlier, but Bernard Horsfall is appears in The Deadly Assassin, also by, directed by Dave Maloney. It's not stated if this is the same character. Mm-hmm. And Clyde Pollitt, the nice one, mm-hmm. is also a Time Lord in The Three Doctors coming up in huh. in a few episodes time. Is it stated whether he's the same character? Nope. It's all mysterious. This this episode, this whole story is very light on names. <laughs> like yeah. nobody has names. They're just they just sort of get titles. Even during his trial, he is only referred to as the warlord. Yep. And uh and yeah, the time lords are never referred to by name or rank or anything. Nope. Uh the planet's not referred to as a planet. It's just like that's a thing that I've noticed throughout the Patrick Troughton era is that you know people are always referring to going to their home planet like same thing in the space pirates like yeah. we don't even know for sure if they were earthlings or not they're just going to their home planet mm-hmm. like it's just well, i think i mean going outside of the, the i think the klingons for instance also never had a name of a home planet until like the movies or the mm-hmm. tng or something it was always just home world home planet which i mean you know maybe that's just a translation of yeah, yeah like that's what people would translate into another language when we say earth or yeah or it just sounds like very like ooh, they're aliens because they're saying their home planet mm. which means it's not earth yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. but yeah so i thought that was that was funny but, yep it's it's not gallifrey it's just no. home planet yeah they're very omniscient beings in this story sort of that traditional kind of like godlike creatures who can take an entire planet and it's people out of time and space, essentially. Well, they put a force field around it. They didn't take right. it out of time and space. But the warlord and his uh, subordinates, oh, yeah. they're gone. Yeah, they're erased from yeah. the timeline of history, which I feel like there's got to be a lot of repercussions for that. It seems like that's that's going above it. Like, why not just get rid of him? Um, because otherwise, that's super interference. But I guess when they're when they're sent over the edge, they go over the well, edge. I, you know, the, like literally, like the next sentence. Okay, let's now back to your trial about interfering in other planets and cultures. That would be my defense if I was a doctor. Yep, they also have the power to bring down painful light. Yeah, I had a a thought that perhaps the light may have been painful, but perhaps those the warlord was susceptible because perhaps he is a sensorite. <laughs> Whatever, you're ridiculous. Kind of look like one, sort of a human sensor, right? The eyes and the beard. No, um, I guess I can kind of see where you're going, but it's still nonsense. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah, I just I can't even describe to you <clears throat> the feeling that I have. Like it's a physical feeling, like in my gut and in my chest. Like it's just this sick emptiness which i feel like i probably don't need to explain to many of our listeners because 
if you have done this and watched all of these stories in order, like you've probably felt the same way. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, it is, it is gut wrench. Like, you know, you hear the phrase gut wrenching yeah. and you don't really think about it, about like, you know, what those words actually mean when you put them together. And now I feel like I have a better understanding of that phrase than I think I ever have before in my life because I do feel like my guts have been sort of twisted and wrenched. Yeah, I'm just, I'm so, I'm so emotional. It's it's a journey, mm-hmm. isn't it? This, this, uh, this first six years of Doctor Who, it just feels like this mm-hmm. is such a, a finite end to it all. Yeah, it's it's so momentous. And I think it, it's even more so because we know what is coming and how different it is. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure at the time and if it, or if you know somehow we were able to do this without knowing what was next, it would still be a big deal and feel, you know, really crappy to have to watch this character that I love so much spinning off into space and screaming no no no. Mm-hmm. Um but knowing that all of the things that I love about what we have have watched um, are kind of going away, and not that there's nothing to love, you know, in in what's what's ahead, but the it's it's just going to change so drastically and so dramatically that it's really not going to be the same show, even though it is. I know. I I think that that's the exciting thing about Doctor Who is that it's about to undergo the you know it's a show that uh, that can be in on the planet vortis one week and the middle ages the next um but for for me anyway it feels like this is the first time the format truly changes this is where doctor who regenerates for the first time mm. for real like as a show yeah like the changing the fir- the main actor was a huge momentous thing, and we talked about that when that happened. But this is, I think, every bit as huge and momentous. It's it's the show regenerating. Yeah, I I don't I think we you know like with many things in history, it it becomes bigger when we look back at it. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, because it was it was I mean it's a good it's a six year show at that point. That's a hell of a long run. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe you know completely turning the direction on it. Uh, as they did in season seven, would be, you know, big. But I think it it feels bigger, I think, perhaps to us Mm -hmm. 50 years on um, (laughs) than it it might have been at the time because perhaps format changes were kind of happening a little bit. But um, this would have been um, almost the end of the show, period, because it was the ratings were starting to dwindle. The British public were starting to, you know, tire of, space opera and that sort of thing you know the the sort of the spy shows and james bond stuff was kind of becoming a little more in vogue um and so it was at at first i think it was probably considered well maybe this is where we wrap it up and i think the bbc was like looking for replacement shows basically to see what they could find couldn't agree on anything so says terrence dix and so they said basically well Let's give it one more year and see what we can do, and we'll it, we'll do Derek Sherwin's idea of of it going, you know, Earth based and stuff and and everything. And he was going to be producer on it, and then he wasn't like almost immediately afterwards. And and so I, it must have happened fairly quickly though that Doctor Who was renewed because I think that Terrence Dix was already like getting Robert Holmes to write the first story of next season, like in December of 68, I think. Mm. And John Pertwee was cast sometime after they shot the last, literally the last scene of the episode. They shot that 10 weeks before it aired. So John Pertwee hadn't even been cast by then, but the wheels were in motion. And uh, for me, it feels weird 
that they're already thinking of season seven. I know that's what TV shows do. They're already planning for the next season. But this feels like such a definite end and a new beginning that just feels like, whoa, they're planning like entirely new Doctor Who while they're shooting this Doctor Who. It just feels like it's disrespectful in a way. (laughs) Yeah, I think that definitely comes of hindsight. Yeah. uh, Because at the time, they were just doing their jobs and just trying to get on with it. And I'm sure they didn't see it as, you know, I'm sure they saw it as a change, but not the the massive and momentous change that we see it as uh, looking back at it now. Yeah. Um, BBC Two, I think it started broadcasting in color in 67 or 68 or something like that kind of like how um bbc2 started doing hd before bbc1 like torchwood was in hd before doctor who was ever in hd i I don't think i knew that yeah um uh but bbc1 was uh, slated to go to color full-time all the uh, across the whole channel in november of 1969 so the bbc decided instead of airing the next series in the autumn as per usual Mm -hmm. They held it back until January so that it could all be in color. So it wouldn't like sort of bridge that. Mm-hmm. So there was an unprecedented six month gap in between seasons of Doctor Who. So we had had like 44 weeks a year mm-hmm. and or more than Rough, that. Roughly. roughly. Yeah. And suddenly we have six months with no Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Wow. It was like the first wilderness year gap. Yeah. <laughs> You know what? Uh, do you know what show filled the gap um, while people waited for for the next season of Doctor Who? Don't scare the hair. A little import TV science fiction show that had recently, I believe, been canceled in the U.S. called Star Trek. Really? Yes. Wow. So Star Trek didn't actually appear in the U.K. until after the black and white era ended essentially. So sometimes, you know, I don't know if people like ever make the comparison between classic Star Trek and, and, and sixties Dr. Who, because they probably wouldn't, because there's probably no chance that anyone in the UK would have seen it by then. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Did, I did not know that. Yeah. I, I read that in the book somewhere. Mm-hmm. I hope that fact is still true. I bought that book like 20 years ago. So mm-hmm. better be still be right. Also what I'm happy about, I'm happy about many things. Um, just for the the closure of it all, is that if the war games hadn't been made uh, as one giant 10-part story, if it was a six- and a four-part story, the last story of the Patrick Troughton era and indeed the 1960s, rather, would have been serial code AAA. But the war games, because it was two together, was ZZ. So we start an entire new decade with a new run of production codes. In a new year, January third, nineteen seventy, is when the John Pertwee era begins. So we we are neatly in the in the new year. It's just ah, oh, it's it's this is the this is the best. I want so badly uh-huh. to make fun of you yeah. for that, but to no end. But I can't yo. because I am this. I'm such a same kind of like left brain nerd. I want things to fit into nice, neat little rows and uh-huh. columns. And yeah, it would have probably hurt my soul if we would have had an AAA. And then had to go in, like start off the new series. Oh, that would have been that would have been awful. So yeah, yet another reason the War Games is so amazing and awesome. I know. Oh God, it's just it, it makes me just near, near miss. Like we dodged a bullet there. So many many bullets, like the War Games itself. We the Doctor and his friends dodged many bullets. Mm-hmm. Chief among them were production codes and airing dates and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Phew. Few indeed. Um, wow. 
<laughs> anything else about the last 253 episodes of Doctor Who that we've watched? 97 of them missing. I just I don't I don't even know. I feel I feel weird. Mm. Just sort of like drained kind of emotionally drained and like there's a part of me that wishes we had a little bit more time to just sit with this before we had to rush on Mm -hmm. to the next story um but we don't because we're in this weird weird little section Mm -hmm. where we need to hurry yeah i mean it does feel like you know uh the the doctor who is now no longer ever going to be 44 episodes a season Mm -hmm. It's down to 25 for season seven. It's in color. It's a different format. There's an entirely different cast apart from one character who was in it before, two characters with Fenton. Um, But for me, being the production nerd that I am, Mm -hmm. I think the production style of Doctor Who is still similarly, similar enough that I almost kind of see it as an extension, perhaps because Derek Sherwin actually, he's the one holdover. He Mm -hmm. stays as is Terrence Dix uh, as script editor. Um, to sort of start the new the new era off and then Derek Sherwin promptly is put on another show um, and then uh, another producer is brought in but that's 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 for another day um, so so I, I kind of like that we're kind of getting into season seven which is kind of a different Pertwee season than than perhaps the the Pertwee seasons that follow so it's it's kind of feels right to sort of get right into it for me anyway yeah, kind of like we said for for you know it's forcing me to to get through this and watch this story even though I hate endings like mm-hmm. um it's it's probably a good thing to to force me to to jump on into yes. the next era of of Doctor Who because I would I think be tempted to just I don't know ruminate and just like soak in my my memories of this for a long time and hesitate to uh to move on. Mm-hmm. Cuz you know m- breaking up is hard to do. But the great thing about Doctor Who is that it's always there and we can watch it again whenever we like. Mm-hmm. And e- even though we're we're watching things in order for this podcast, we can always go back and watch mm-hmm. the Doctor and his friends play around with Ice Warriors and Quarks and Yeti and <laughs> Macra and all sorts of different adventures that they had. Yeah, but you never get to do it for the first time again. Um, mm-hmm. uh, on Verity, Liz is, is always so jealous and and upset when she discovers that one of us has not seen mm-hmm. a classic doctor who story because we have classic doctor who that we haven't seen right. and i feel like you know while there's still a few episodes um, stories ahead of me that i haven't seen but the experience of watching it all in order is also another thing that you can never do for the first time again so even if we were to go through and do this whole pilgrimage again like when we finish it it's never going to quite feel the same as this. Mm-hmm. So you're right. We can go back and we can watch watch any and all of it again. Maybe someday we'll even be able to actually watch more of it because maybe they'll find some more missing yeah. episodes and we can dip back for that. But but yeah, I'm I'm never going to have this first journey with with my friends mm-hmm. again in this same way. And uh and I'm I'm not going to apologize for being a little bit sad about that. That's okay. I still think of like full circle way off in season 18 as like, like I love that story, but I can't recapture the feeling I had at the end of that, that they didn't 
wrap everything up and it was continuing in the next story and I thought what <laughs> that I can still feel that that little frisson it's just like I leveled up I skipped two levels there and becoming a super fan um but uh, uh you got to move on I guess but I don't have to move on right now no. it's it's Saturday night we're we're not gonna watch any more Doctor Who. I can I can go and cry myself to sleep if I want to. Gosh darn it! If you very well want, perhaps <laughs> also because there's John Pertwee ahead of you, and you uh, haven't ha- you have now you have seen Spearhead from Space. I have. Yeah. I've seen Spearhead. I've seen the beginning and the end of season seven before. That's right. You have. So there's there's the the middle in there that uh, that that awaits you. Um, and what did you see? Well, Spearhead you saw for Verity because yep. I remember watching that. Uh, Inferno you saw. Uh, I watched it actually right after Nicholas Courtney died um, because I wanted to, you know, do something to sort of commemorate yeah. his his wonderful existence. And I don't think I had seen I had, I had thought I had seen Inferno before, but I actually hadn't. And um, yeah, so I can't remember if I watched it on Netflix or if I had the I think I might have had the VHS. I don't oh, know. I seem to recall you having I remember seeing your mm-hmm. stacks of VHS tapes up against the wall in your apartment. And I, yeah, I remember you saying that you had Inferno. And that's where you're watching it. I think I think so. Yeah. So yeah. So um, I that was when I watched that. So it was a while back now. Mm-hmm. Well, we haven't watched it together really, apart from Spirit Heaven's Face. So mm-hmm. so this will be a whole new adventure mm-hmm. to see what you think of what is probably, um, despite having not seen uh, very many of his stories, your least favorite Doctor. Yeah. It's the third and the seventh are my, my two mm-hmm. sort of weak spots in terms of enjoying the doctor. Mm. Um, but, but, but I like the things that surround the third doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, unit and Liz Shaw and like, so, you know, there's, there, I know there are things to look forward to, even right. if the doctor himself is not, uh, not my favorite of all the doctors, but I mean, who knows? I have never done this, yeah. this journey before. So maybe I will, discover that I actually like the third doctor a lot more than I thought I did. Or maybe I'll discover I like him even less. We won't know until we continue through. Yeah. This is why I have been not not to to speed through the Patrick Chouten era, but this I have been looking forward to seeing what your initial reactions were would be to the John Pertwee era. And that's what we get to do uh starting with the next episode. Yep. But for now, I'm still mourning the second doctor because he mm-hmm. he deserves it. He does. But the great thing is he's also comes back. Spoilers, he comes back. <laughs> a couple times. A couple times. Three times. Three times? Yeah. Really? Three doctors? Oh right. I forgot I was I was forgetting the three doctors yeah. for some reason. That's ridiculous of me. I thought you were counting um um the the T V uh made for T V with EastEnders. Why can't I think of the name of oh, it? Oh he was Doctor. sadly he had died by oh, then. Okay, that's right. It was just his head spinning yeah. around. That was yeah. that was awful. Pretty awful, yeah. What's the name of it? Why can't I think? Dimensions of it? in time. Dimensions in time. Thank you. Yeah, I keep wanting to end it saying something nice about Patrick Troughton, and we keep you keep like talking about John Pertwee, or yeah, and then I, I and then I talk about Dimensions yeah. in time. I'm, everybody's ruining everything. Oh, yeah. Patrick Troughton was great. What I like about Patrick Troughton is that you know he was this character actor more or less who loved the flexibility of just doing guest roles. And then he does a three-year thing where he's the star of a show um, for pretty much the only time in his career. And literally, I think the next 
Monday, he's in rehearsals for a BBC show called The Merry Wives of Windsor. Like, and he has a, a massive career for the for the rest of his life as a character actor again. Like, there, it, Doctor Who is almost a blip on his radar in regards to in regards to his acting career. Um, I, I find that we are so lucky to have an actor of his skill, um, because he he is kind of you know it's been said that he's kind of the first modern doctor mm-hmm. because yeah. he's sort of that 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 kind of. You know, he's not the grand, the miserly grandfather. He's the lovable uncle, uh, and Troughton makes him that. And a lot of, you know, from Davison to McCoy to Matt Spith have all, like, said that he is their, you know, was their prime inspiration in, in, in doing the role of the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If not for him, there would be so... It would be, like, if there was... If they had cast somebody else as the mm-hmm. second Doctor, the rest of the sh- the history of the show would look very, very... Very, very different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine if they cast, like, let's get an older guy again? Like, just someone who kind of looks like Hartnell? I mean, most people's TVs are <laughs> kind of bad. Maybe they won't notice. No, they, they've they went full on and went for Patrick Troughton. Mm-hmm. It probably, I mean, if they had done that, I feel like the show would have fizzled out yeah. much quicker than it did. Mm-hmm. And I, for one, am glad that that didn't happen. Me too. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy for Patrick Troughton. I'm very happy that... Um, that we get to watch his doctor a lot and can hear his doctor a lot. Um, and that we have in the last like 20 or 30 years actually been able to see more of his doctor thanks to missing episodes return. And perhaps um, if and when more, even more episodes of his come back, perhaps we can revisit them again on this very podcast because I think it would be kind of neat to watch fully new Doctor Who together uh, for mm-hmm. the first time. That would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Wow. That would be a real... A real experience. Oh, my giddy aunt. (laughs) You're here. All right. Goodbye. Goodbye.